0: Vegas Fever Podcast, Jason here. Let's talk about Utah State, UNLV. The Rebels pull off the upset 59-56 last night. Bryce Hamilton, um, 14 points, almost didn't play with the sprained ankle. Uh, Also had 8 assists, 5 rebounds, was uh, 4 for 8 from 3. And without him, you don't win this game. I know that David Jenkins had a really good game himself, and so did Moses Wood. And, you know, Caleb Grill hit a couple of shots. Mbake Zhang was great. But you don't win that game without Bryce Hamilton. I've said it many, many times. That's your star. That's the guy who you want the ball in his hands. And he proved that. Um, UNLV was able to keep uh, a lot of Utah State's players uh, in check. Uh, Nemus um, you know, he, he had a bunch of rebounds. He didn't have a ton of points. Marco Anthony was the guy for Utah State that hurt UNLV a little bit. He had 18 points, and he had 9 rebounds. He was really solid for them. Nimas Kata, only 8 points. I mean, Bean had 10 points for Utah State. Only 4 bench points, and those all came from Bearstow for Utah State. Uh, I mean, 5 for 22 from 3, only 22%. They're a much better 3-point shooting team than that, and they only shot 32% from the floor, Where UNLV excelled was their three-point shooting. They made sure that they were excelling in that area 43% for UNLV, 13 of 30, and they shot 32%. So they shot, uh, the team shot evenly from from two at 20 for 61, 32%. UNLV wins this game at the three-point line, plain and simple. If Utah State gets a couple of better bounces and UNLV doesn't make as many threes, as we saw at the end of the game, where the game got tight, uh, UNLV doesn't win this game. A couple of really, I'm going to call them boneheaded freshman mistakes by Nick Blake. Uh, first time he goes to dunk, this is late in the game. Um, he wants to do a little showtime and he misses the dunk. Just put the ball in the basket, Nick. That's all you got to do. Because if UNLV converts one of those two dunks by Nick Blake, this is not a three-point game, this is a five-point game, and we're not, you know, having to sit on pins and needles at the end of the game, waiting for Utah State to not be able to get a shot off, Um, and I believe it was Moses Wood who had that late block, so the first time, he goes for showtime, the second time, he travels, he travels, took too many steps, so two times, Wasn't able to convert on either dunk, and that would have put the game away for UNLV. He's a freshman. He's young. He's a star. He's a stud, in my opinion. He's going to be really great for the Rebels in this league. But what he has to learn to do, just put the ball in the basket. I don't care if you lay it in. I don't don't need it to be flashy. You're going to beat Utah State, who only lost one other time in conference play. Just put it in. That's all. We could... Shift away from that and, you know, look at Mbake Zhang and how good he was on Nemus Keita. He took Keita out of his game. Early on in the game, Keita got a couple of looks. He was pushed out to about the free throw line or a little bit outside of the key by Mbake Zhang. But then, you know, Keita was able to get his points. Now, he only had eight points for the game, Mm -hmm. but majority of that came earlier, he had 11 rebounds. He was frustrated. Uh, Mbake and the rest of the rebels. Now they would use a double. Sometimes Mo would, or sometimes somebody else would come around, and they would kind of show him, you know, show him a double team. T.J. Altsberger showed a little zone. Colorado State, you used a little zone, and it was able to throw Utah State off. They didn't use a. They they didn't use it for the whole game, but they showed Utah Utah State a little bit of it. And the Rebels were up at halftime, and I was impressed. I didn't think that UNLV would um, be able to stay with Utah State like they did. The second half was really bad. Um, I mean, each team only scored 20-something points each, and, and a lot of that came in the second part of the second half. Um, I'd like to say that at halftime it was 39-34 UNLV. I want to say that. So if that's the case, UNLV scores 20 points in the second half, and Utah State only scores 22. Um, the second half, first part of it, like I said, very sloppy. Uh, then we started to get into the nitty gritty. Both teams are chucking up threes. Um, Utah State couldn't really hit much of anything, UNLV hit a shot here, a shot there, they did just enough, and the bottom line is, in this league, you have to do just enough, I don't care what it looks like, take the win, and move on, kind of like with the New Mexico game, the second New Mexico game, Um, UNLV, uh, I mean, both teams very sloppy in the second half, but you walk away with the victory, these two teams will face off again, Wednesday night, uh, 8 o'clock west time uh, on FS1 and we'll see what adjustments uh, Craig Smith and Utah State make because Nemus was frustrated Um, you could tell their team was frustrated, UNLV was getting under their skin, they were defending really well, they shot the three really well Um, and that's what you have to do to beat Utah State Utah State is an NCAA tournament team Now uh, Joe Lenardi has them out uh second that second grouping out but I firmly believe that by the end of the conference tournament Utah State will probably be in the conference tournament um San Diego State is also uh being projected in the conference tournament and so is Boise State who has a really good winning streak uh right now in the Mountain West it looks like Colorado State um some prognosticators have them in Joe Lenardi has them out so the Rams are going to have to do a little bit of work but do not sleep on this UNLV team that's 5 wins in a row and they've even their record when they were 1 and 6 I wasn't worried and a lot of people are freaking out you know on social media and they're saying that how can this team be 1 and 6 TJ Altsaberger should be in the hot seat maybe because they only gave Marvin Menzies three years and this is the second year TJ Altsaberger's and I think that TJ Altsaberger is a really good coach. He's a really good X's and O's guys and he has really good assistant coaches. They weren't concerned. They took 33 days off from COVID. They come back and they haven't lost. They haven't lost a ball game. They haven't lost a ball game since November if you really want to look at it that way. And I think this team is a really sneaky, sleeper team in the Mountain West. If we have a conference tournament, if all the teams go, and UNLV is able to play, if if they're only going to take the top six teams, it might be a little tough, but if if, if majority of this league is able to go to the conference tournament, UNLV on their home floor, and they're a really good home team, nobody's in the building, but this team, they can make a run. And it's not—it's not unrealistic. It's not funny. Like this team is better than their record, and this team is good without Marvin Coleman. Uh, Jenkins struggled early in earlier in the year. The the constant has been Bryce Hamilton, and even um, Mbake Zhang has really shown up. Like those games against those cupcake schools that UNLV beat the living crap out of was really good for Mbake's confidence he's able now to be like I can score I can defend I can rebound I can take the best player one of the best players in the league probably the I mean he's a first team all mountain west player he's probably player in the league I mean maybe somebody else wins it but he took him out of his game he made him look silly, and that's a good sign for UNLV. I like it. We see again what happens uh, in the next game between these two teams. I wouldn't be surprised if Utah State came out real mad and and, and put a whooping on UNLV, and I wouldn't be surprised if UNLV um, took it to Utah State again, but if UNLV beats Utah State in both of these games, we're talking um, eyebrows raising because they can beat Boise if they beat this team. They could be anybody in this league, and this is where the run can come in you I mean look at what TJ Otzelberger did last year 12 and 4 in the league and the number what four what was it four seed or five seed top five finish for UNLV going into the conference tournament they had a really tough injury you know with Elijah Mitru Long and I really think that they get to the conference final if he is there that was their guy their leader heart and soul this team can make a run A lot is yet to be determined and to be seen with with everything going on in the world. I mean, are we going to have a conference tournament? How many teams are going to be there? I mean, is there going to be another delay for any teams that UNLV plays or even UNLV itself, COVID-wise? That's remained to be seen. But right now, right this minute, UNLV and Boise State are the hottest teams in this league, hands down. And until the Rebels lose, it's them and Boise State as the hottest teams. Now, going into the tournament, the conference tournament – You know, UNLV is going to need to beat Colorado State, who they lost to twice by only six points. They're going to probably need to beat this team, Utah State, again. Beat Boise State. And we're going to see what they're made of. I really like the way TJ Otzelberger has utilized his bench. Last night, Mo Wood gets to start, and Mo Wood has a fantastic game. Nick Blake comes in off the bench. Nick Blake has a really good game, except for a couple of really silly moves. Caleb Grill hit a couple of big shots. I mean... You're not really seeing a lot from Devin Tillis. Sometimes I'm not, I'm not I'm not really sure why why he's playing, but I guess you really have to see. You really have to get these kids minutes, you know. And that's what it's all about. I like UNLV's lineup. I like their you know their you know their stars Hamilton and Jenkins. They're heating up, and this conference needs to watch out because if these guys are going to be hot, this team can beat anybody. So, obviously, I record these um, mini podcast thoughts, whatever you want to call them, after every game, um, just so that it's fresh on my mind. And we're going to see UNLV take on Utah State second game out of two on Wednesday. And that game is at 8 o'clock Las Vegas time, like I said, on FS1. And we'll talk after that game. Hopefully a Rebel win, but we'll dissect it either way. Take it easy. Everybody be safe. Vegas Fever Podcast. Jason here with you. Let's talk about the second UNLV game against Utah State Wednesday night. Um, Coming off that 59-56 win, um, we expected UNLV to, again, have a competitive game and stick with Utah State. And they did early on, but it was much harder for UNLV to stay with Utah State. And the game was really not as close uh, as the final score would indicate, Utah State wins this one, 83-74. Um, Roly Worster was the worst for UNLV. Um, he was just such a killer for them. Uh, for the Aggies, 19 points. Uh, he also had 9 assists and 9 rebounds. So he led the team in all the categories, and he played 38 minutes. All their starters for Utah State were in double figures. And they shot over 50% from the floor and from three. For UNLV, um, it was David Jenkins, and that was it. In the um, basic absence of Bryce Hamilton, he did play, but Bryce Hamilton only had two points. He was battling the ankle issues all night without David Jenkins hitting hitting some shots throughout the later portion of the game. The score is not um, this close. UNLV was down by double digits for a lot of the half, Um And when you shoot 35% from three and 43% from the floor, that's what's going to happen. And I thought UNLV had a chance to sweep this Utah State team, but I think it's really good that they at least split with them because they're in the middle of the Mountain West race as they take on uh, a Nevada Wolfpack team. Tonight, as we do this podcast every every Sunday, um, UNR and UNLV will battle up in Reno tonight, first of two games. And these are big games for UNLV because them and Nevada are fifth and sixth, respectively, in the Mountain West. And the top five teams get the bye if they choose to keep the format for the tournament the way that it's been. This is important. UNLV's schedule down the stretch, the last, I believe it's eight games, or so is very favorable besides um the boise state um games that they will play every other team is middle of the standings or lower and i don't think there's any excuse if now if bryce hamilton is healthy and this team has been really playing much better uh they won five out of six and I know it it all be against, you know, majority of it against lower competition. Their only victory against Utah State out of this five, you know, the five-game winning streak was all that was really um, good because it was against the only good team. Um, this is the part of the schedule where they need to be at their best. This is the stre- this is stretch time. Now, we don't know if they're going to reschedule the San Diego State and Wyoming games um, because there is a 10-11 day break from the last game of the season in late february until the mountain west tournament so there is time there to reschedule those games i don't think that benefits unlv um i know that it's it's fair because then everyone will have played the same amount of conference games but if unlv is on a win streak or they're hot and they've won seven of eight or six of eight whatever the case may be and then they got to go play the Aztecs who have won four in a row and are in the top four in the league and Wyoming as well who is not an easy team to play and those games were supposed to be in Laramie so what what's going to happen is UNLV is going to have to play San Diego State at Thompson Mac if they reschedule them and if they reschedule the Wyoming games they're gonna have to go to Laramie Th- this is not favorable so I personally would hope that they don't but as our luck would have it you know is you and LV fans would look at it. They probably will. They probably will reschedule those games, but the games that are most important right now is the games against Reno, and it looks like they're going to have a healthy bunch up there in Reno to play against, and Hamilton is questionable for the game tonight, but I I don't like their chances Um, if they don't have Bryce Hamilton. uh, Reno is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. At this point, and I think that's probably about right. Um, these teams are, are are pretty much, you know, average together. So we'll see what happens. For Nevada, they have won six straight games against UNLV, looking for their seventh. Um, in the last six for Reno, that they've beaten UNLV. Uh, they've won by an average of 14 points, so double-digit victories. Not a good look. UNLV's last win came uh, in February of 2018 um, against Nevada. For the Wolfpack, Grant Sherfield Shon- has averaged about 18.5 points and 5.5 assists. That's somebody that you're going to need to keep an eye on. And um, Bryce Hamilton combats that with averaging uh, 18 himself. Uh, UNLV averages about 66. They've allowed 66 points a game to conference opponents. And um, this is going to be a big one. And we'll see how the running Rebels do. Something else I think needs to be mentioned um, that I talked about on Twitter a few days ago was um, Chris Murray from, you know, uh, up up north in Nevada Sportsnet. He had mentioned that over the past, you know, really since Jerry Tarkanian left, but especially like the past, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, Nevada has played much better against UNLV and for the last five or 10 years has played, this is my opinion, has played better and is a just a better program. Um, and that's not easy, you know, for a person like me. I always, I, I, I it was, it was a, not a good rivalry, bitter. There's been fights in football. There's been fights in basketball. It's, it's, it's big rivalry in the state of Nevada. And I always grew up not liking, you know, Reno, UNR, Nevada, however you want to call them. But when you become an adult and you grow up, you realize that sometimes a team's program, even if they're in the same state as yours, is just flat out better. Nevada had Eric Musselman when, um, well, they had David Carter first but when dave rice was coached they had david carter and then they had eric musselman eric musselman is a better coach than dave rice and marvin menzies put together in my mind and the re- and he's taken them to ncaa tournaments he was in the nba he's at arkansas now and the reason that he's at arkansas he got a power five job in the SEC is because he did such great things with a little school in Reno. That's why he is where he is. UNLV had Dave Rice. They botched the Dave Rice firing, the hiring after that. Chris Beard would have been fantastic, but they don't get him because he doesn't want to stay. They get, they get Marvin Menzies. Marvin Menzies is the coach at UNLV at the same time as Steve Alford now because Steve Alford took over the Nevada job. After Eric Musselman left, Steve Alford is a much better coach than Marvin Menzies and Dave Rice. These are facts. It's hard sometimes to talk to people in Las Vegas and people, UNLV fans, about this. These are This is truth, but in my opinion. Take it how you wish. But I feel like they're on the right track now. With T.J. Alsburger, I feel he's a really he's a really good recruiter, and it actually it, I see it translating. When they were one and six, I wasn't worried. Last year they had a rough year, I wasn't worried because I knew that they would rebound, and that's exactly what they did. And they can do the same thing here this year. They have the tools, and I think in the future, the next couple of years, of the program is really important for stability. But I think that he's the guy. My point is, after Jerry Tarkanian was shown the door. Nevada became much better against UNLV. They started beating them more. The first X amount of years when Jerry Tarkanian was here with the ser- in this series, in the in-state rivalry, they just, Nevada was not any good. They hardly won. So now they're coming around because UNLV has had 13 basketball coaches, I believe my number should be correct, since Jerry Tarkanian. Now, I don't know how many Reno has had. Okay. But I do know that their program is more stable. Their head coach and their head coaching staff and their athletic department, in my mind, is more stable at this point. I do like the athletic department better now, but you've wasted five, just about five years. You've lost so much time. And it's okay to admit when someone else, even bitter rivalry wise, has done better than you. That's fine. I think UNLV's in the right, going in the right direction, in good shape. But I definitely feel that Nevada has come around, and it's a big rivalry still. And Steve Alford is the coach of Nevada. He knows exactly how big it is. He's been battling UNLV since 1987 when he was at Indiana. He was Indiana's point guard. Indiana played UNLV in the in the semifinal, at the Final Four, of course. Alford and Indiana win the game and go on to win the national title under Bobby Knight. Steve Alford becomes the coach at Iowa, and you don't really hear much about him anymore out west, but then he gets the job at New Mexico. I don't know if it was the late 90s or early 2000s, and then the rivalry is back on. UNLV and New Mexico had some really good ball games, and he took a little bit of time off and went to UCLA, but now he's back. And these teams are very familiar. The fan bases are very familiar. And we're going to see tonight, the game is 6.30, I believe, Pacific Time um, on FS1. We're going to see what these two teams are made of. Going to wrap up this portion as we will head on now to do our Golden Knights portion. Let's bring in the Golden Wife. You can follow her on Twitter, at the Golden Wife hello hi <laughs> you ready to do this yes okay um so we had a pair of games um Sunday after we did our podcast mhm um fantastic game it was no score late
1: yeah
0: uh Carlson bangs one in for the nights and yeah, I wouldn't call it a
1: fantastic I mean flurry boring. Is, yeah, boring yeah boring yeah right
0: No, no goals is boring <laughs> to us us so hockey folk, um, but the goaltending was really, really good. And Carlson was able to receive a pass, I believe it was for Marsha, so just right in front of the net. And mm-hmm. he was able to put one in and, um,
1: win the game,
0: win the game. Flurry was amazing, he was, he was amazing. And can't say that enough. I think that's a 60 second shutout of his career. I mean, it just can't really say enough. I think that it's definite as we talk about what happens following this, that he is the better goaltender at this time. I don't think there's a doubt.
1: Yeah, obviously. And I
0: know that it will come and it will go, and opinions will change.
1: Well, I, th- I, I think he's definitely... Um, how you say? Like, um, stepping up to prove that who he is do
0: you think he has to or he's just being i don't himself? think he, i don't
1: think he should have to first of all i think the whole thing is ridiculous but um i i think in a sense he's being himself because he's always done those crazy saves and i mean that's not new but i think he's
0: no he's proactive and robin right. leonard is reactive that's he, the, that's the he problem just
1: very, he just seems determined
0: I can't really I can't really disagree or say anything different because I, I think that he's he's got a little chip on his shoulder and I don't know yeah, if I it's from what happened last year or just what's happening right now or both. He just he knows his skill level and it hasn't diminished and I think that the Knights front office thought it would.
1: Yeah. But, but it's it not. Hadn't.
0: But it's not when when we talked, um when I talked to Tom last week, he thought Vegas made a mistake. Yeah, and should have let flurry play out. You know
1: that I've been that feeling that way since day one. I told Even him that's exactly like, how you felt. I mean, that's an unpopular opinion, but I mean, you almost, in a sense, have to feel bad for Leonard because he was kind of, first of all, those are huge shoes to fill, N- not just because it's flurry, but because. The town fell in love with him. So not only do you have to fill Flurry's skill shoes, but you'll the the appreciation and the love from the the fans. He's got to fill the fans' shoes, and you almost have to feel sorry for him because that's not going to happen right now. And how they did Flurry wrong, kind of. You know, I can only really speak for myself, but it leaves a bad taste in my mouth for Leonard. I'm not saying that he's a bad guy. I I know absolutely nothing about him personally, but I don't think that this... It's almost unfair to him because I don't think this is his shot. I don't think that this was a good way to catapult yourself into um, starting goalie for this team. I think it's not gonna do him well
0: well, I won't blame Robin Leonard for being traded and 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 accepting a huge contract yeah, and, and putting should. into the starting and putting into the starting role he's not gonna he's not going to deny this opportunity because he was going from contract to contract yeah to contract. And, I, and
1: I understand that, but I don't think that um. I I don't know if I, I don't think I would've denied it either to be honest with you, but.
0: 25 million dollars over five years. I mean, I'm gonna like tell me where to sign and tell me where to play.
1: He should've known that they, you know, if they hadn't got rid of Flurry.
0: What he was up against.
1: What he was up against. Mm -hmm. Maybe they told him that he was, they were going to. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You don't know.
0: Apparently but there's been a lot Fleury, going on right? behind they the told scenes.
1: Flurry that he would end his career there, and then what was the, for what is the reason for this? Because the coach doesn't like him. We we don't know because he wasn't playing bad.
0: Malcolm Subban was not oh, as suitable guy. because this is how this is. How this happened? Malcolm Subban was not a suitable backup, and okay. he's not a starter. And he's a starter in Chicago, and he don't belong to be a starter. No, he this is nothing against Malcolm Subban. This is the facts. Subban was good for a small portion and and, and crapped Subban his pants a
1: hockey. lot.
0: He was good for a small time. He was not good for the rest. He was never going to be a starter for the Vegas they Golden Knights. They didn't find a better backup
1: for Flurry. Absolutely,
0: they found a starter.
1: Right. And that should have not that's happened the problem right now he
0: came into a, a bee's nest of vegas fans that are flurry lovers and now you have a divide among fans
1: you knew how old flurry was when you signed him it's not like he magically changed his age yeah you knew how old you know how long you signed him for
0: the Blackhawks organization has made some really questionable decisions. They did not believe that Robin Leonard was going to, or someone like Robin Leonard was going to be available at the trade deadline for basically nothing, and they would have to negotiate. Nobody could see that happening. I'm sorry. No organization, not many organizations like, would all, leave that out know, there. You they all
1: have bad games. He had a really bad game the other day. And,
0: and that's what, you yeah, know, we're going to get to that.
1: Okay. Um, Fleury's had plenty of them. He has. But I'm wondering if
0: when you play seventeen years, you're gonna have plenty of them,
1: you know the better flurry plays and the worse he plays.
0: they can't trade him, and that's exactly what Tom said last week
1: that no what I'm saying is is that just that's very mentally like in your head. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is a lot more complicated than it should have been and needed to be and especially right now nobody a team in general doesn't need this kind of morale no because flurry's basically fighting for something that was his should be his and then leonard has to fight
0: just to be like liked
1: to like prove his worth
0: just to be like hey I'm. Over this here. is ridiculous
1: they've completely pitted and
0: also financially it's not even. It, it, it's 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 the locker room. I don't room care turmoil.
1: about that. Like that's their issue. But
0: that's causing them to give up goals and to play not the great. Financial issues? Yes, because they have to give to, up goals. Because they have to play with five defensemen instead of six. They have to send people down to stay on the right side of the cap because they're spending twelve million dollars in goaltending. So what's happening? You're seeing a offense, an extra offenseman.
1: I don't know if it was the new coach who didn't like Flurry.
0: I don't think Pete DeBoer likes Flurry, even yeah. though publicly he says that marc Andre Flurry is fantastic and he's going to use them both, and we're going to see after that. I think publicly he's Flurry's best friend, but I don't think he likes Flurry from his time does. in San Jose and also from his time in New Jersey when Flurry played in Pittsburgh. I don't think they're friends.
1: And, and that's
0: my opinion. I'm probably wrong.
1: But you know, you, you when they first got this. Pete DeBoer, you told me that all the other stuff from other times on teams doesn't matter. It, he's the coach now. It doesn't. But now That's you're our guy. It, but now you're saying it translates into the locker room. I'm Which one it is I'm saying it could
0: because, I mean, look, you see the sword through the back from his agent, right? You see what happened in the playoffs at the end. You see what's happening him. now. He
1: didn't play him. That's my
0: point. So I really would like to think that this would never, ever so affect it, but now it is. now it playing
1: is. him now? Because he's gotten so much pressure? Because he
0: needs him. He needs well, I thought
1: Leonard was all God's well, gift.
0: Leonard's a really good goaltender, but Leonard ends up kind of—he ends up too far back in the net, and he can't he recover. That's what I'm experience. saying. He he does, but not like he doesn't have Flurry experience. He has experience, but he—he's a completely different goaltender. Completely different.
1: They needed to get a good, solid backup for Flurry. Yes, and it would have not been so much drama. This is unnecessary. High school drama. It really is. And I can't even imagine how everyone feels because I would feel crappy no matter which situation I was in.
0: The team goes on after they play Arizona and win that last, with that last minute Carlson goal, the fantastic flurry effort. They go on to play St. Louis um, at T Mobile Arena two nights later on Tuesday. And we're about to mention exactly what we were kind of talking about. Um, St. Louis wins 5-4 in a shootout. Robin Leonard gives up 5. Pacioretty scores a hat trick. Great.
1: They wouldn't have even been in overtime if it wasn't for Pacioretty. Look,
0: maybe somebody else scores, but let's just take this for what it is. Pacioretty had a hat trick. Without him, they're not even close. It could have been made up in other ways. Leonard gave up a few of what I would like to call bitch goals. Sorry, he didn't. Uh, He He gave up... A couple of easy ones.
1: He gave up in total five goals, and that's a lot.
0: I'm, you know, f- what we watched. We need he needs to make those saves because if he makes one or two, the Golden Knights win. That's plain and simple. And I know they're five and one at the time, and now they're five one and one, and they still lead the division. Yes. And then we'll pause now and we'll talk about that too. But <laughs> he gave up some real easy goals, and he need for him. Because it's going to come down to a choice. If he wants to stay platooning, if he gives up five goals a night, even Pete DeBoer cannot play him. I'm telling you, he can't. He cannot play him long term. Even if he's his drinking buddy, he can't do that. If Flurry is going to continue to give up no goals or one or two and Leonard gives up four or five, this is not going to work. Do
1: you Their think,
0: defense wasn't much better. Uh, do you really, think it Fleury wasn't. Flurry
1: got too comfortable last season.
0: Until Robin Leonard showed up, yes. Because he was like, he would sit on the bench and probably was was saying to himself, this guy Subban sucks. I'm not going anywhere. And then all of a sudden they, they, they trade him for Robin Leonard and he was like, oh no. That's probably what happened. Fleury was the guy. He had been the guy for two and a half to three years. This is what it is. No doubt.
1: If you want to even say he was the only guy
0: yes he was now,
1: how many games I mean I'll say it again
0: he was out for two months of his first season right, but that second that. season he w- played 70 games because I believe because
1: they couldn't trust Subban they were paying a guy to sit there and look dumb as fuck
0: looking back on it you're not wrong
1: I, I don't need to look back on it. I said. Well, because at the then. time, I,
0: because they really believed. Now, when Dave Pryor was the co- goaltending coach, who was Flurry's goaltending coach in Pittsburgh, they brought him over. When he was here, they thought Subban was the answer. He was a first round pick. He How? had because he was really good okay. at one point.
1: So, I, I, sometimes,
0: so sometimes you scout what you scout and what you see are two different things.
1: Wow. That's, they they had a
0: believement that he was the guy. And I think Flurry was really comfortable. And also, Flurry was really, really good. And then he had a couple of, of, of rough games. They changed coaches. Now let's go get a different goaltender. Things changed really fast for Flurry. Gerard Gallant was his coach, who he really respected. And Malcolm Subban was the lame duck backup. Flurry was in a good spot. And in a matter of two weeks well, like a month, it changed. Yeah, I know. When Gerard Gallant got fired and when Robin Leonard came in, Robin Leonard has not looked great. And this is not just the last game.
1: No.
0: Now, sometimes your, your offense will overcome your mistakes. But I will say it over and over and over again. Against a team like St. Louis, like we saw, against a team like Colorado, against Dallas, when they get to these these points of the playoff and regular season... They can't do this, and DeBoer is going to have to make decisions, because if if both guys are playing well, even if they give up a couple goals, he will stick to this plan. He's going to have to make a decision if Robin Leonard keeps crapping himself in games. That's what he's been doing. And we're going to be able to chew on this for a couple of weeks wow. because of what followed the St. Louis game, which was... Alex Petrangelo, an ex-Blue, who was who has claimed to not have any contact with St. Louis, comes up as, I hear positive for COVID, COVID tracing, but then it comes out also that there's three coaches involved. So we have a Golden Knights player in the protocol and three coaches. The games against San Jose and the last game against St. Louis that was on supposed to be on Thursday and the games against San Jose February 1st and February 3rd have been rescheduled. So, The Golden Knights will not play until the 5th. We have not heard, hopefully, we have not heard, and I think that game is against LA, we have not heard any more news. That's real hush-hush. That is per the CBA. You get what you get announcement-wise, and that's it. If it leaks, it leaks. But it's not really supposed to. So we'll hear some stuff on that as we go along. And the Silver Knights, during their game last night, have to stop the game before, as the teams are coming out for the third period at the Orleans Arena, have to stop the game against San Jose, Barracuda, the, the Sharks' AHL team. They say it's from the San Jose side, the COVID issues. I don't really, I don't know if I buy that. Because how many Silver Knights players interact with Golden Knights players? They're in the same town. Derek England is coaching, and Derek England is Bill Foley's assistant.
1: Yeah, I don't really know. And unfortunately... I'm not buying this. Um, Not to mention, all the players go home to their families, girlfriends, whoever. You don't know who's been around who. I mean, it could be from anywhere. And it spreads like wildfire. And Alex
0: Petrangelo passes one of the Silver Knights in the hallway, and all of a sudden, here we are. I mean...
1: They don't wear masks, no, you know, in the locker room? they don't.
0: I mean, they're supposed to, I think, but they don't.
1: They don't. How can you? You can't. So, I mean, this is just basically bound to happen. It didn't happen last season because of the bubble. The bubble worked really the well. The bubble
0: was such a great idea.
1: But they, the players don't want to do it, which I understand. they are be away from their families and friends. And, we would
0: not have hockey right now if Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL... Was forcing them to but do a bubble. We wouldn't have hockey is going to keep
1: right happening now. in all sports until yeah. the pandemic's over, pe- people get vaccinated, whatever. I'm not trying to get into all that, but.
0: I think we're up to like 13 or 14 games, I think, NHL wide, since the season started that yeah. we've had to. And it re-vatted. has barely started. Right.
1: I mean, this is going to continue to happen. So. Their, their
0: best bet is playoff time, bubble. And they haven't done that, but they should. They should.
1: Right, but getting and to the, the players need to understand. To I know who's
0: going to be left standing. It's yeah. really hard to do things this way.
1: You know, Las Vegas is a hot zone anyway.
0: Yep. So was Arizona, where they just came from.
1: So I mean, it's it's bound to happen. You don't know. You just don't know when you when you can or cannot get it. I mean, I wonder if these guys were feeling ill or if they—if it was just routine testing.
0: Routine testing. So Th- that's what feeling, I've read. No. Feeling Ill, no. Ill,
1: so maybe they were...
0: Could be a false, po- could well,
1: be false positive. Well, yeah. asymptomatic. You don't know.
0: This whole thing is so...
1: I'm just saying you should probably just so brace yourself because it's going to happen. I, I, I
0: bet. The one thing I don't want to see happen is to miss that game on February 20th in Lake Tahoe. I think that is a
1: yeah.
0: really amazing opportunity for the Knights against the Avalanche. It's going to be beautiful, the, the, the backdrop, the setting. I hope that they're at least back by February 20th. Also, in some other news, I think that we might have missed something at the end of the St. Louis game. I guess Braden McNabb, um, he was placed on injured reserve after the game. I guess he got hurt the last couple minutes of the of the St. Louis game. So if they're down Petrangelo, if the team comes back and plays before Petrangelo is able because of covid, I think it's like 10 days or 2 weeks whatever it is. They're down him and McNabb defensively. So um we'll definitely be seeing um Nick Hague and and Dylan Coughlin and Jake Bischoff or you know because they're going they're going they're going to be making some adjustments. Um
1: what happened to
0: I don't know. It happened late in the game, and I guess he played the rest of the game? But he un- ended up on injured reserve. I wonder if that's a move for cap space. I don't think they can do that. Put a guy on injured reserve who's not injured? I don't think the NHL would in- would-, would enjoy or let that happen. That's embarrassing. Well, I
1: mean, they could basically say, oh, he twisted his ankle or his butt cheek or his they could. You know, finger. They could.
0: I, I, I don't know what the, um, what the process is on I, verifying I, that.
1: But if he played the rest
0: of the game i mean he did it happened late and he played i mean that's that's really not saying much when mark andre Fleury got his concussion he played the rest of the game and then the next day it was like "Ooh, i don't feel good um, well
1: it was very evident that game true that all of a sudden he started letting in gold i mean
0: it's right yeah it was it was <laughs> it's a totally different situation but right. um that's pretty much um it on the on the nights of of both kind silver and golden front you have anything else
1: No, I'm hoping they'll come back the
0: 5th. Hope so. This upcoming week, we won't I really hear much about them. I won't but...
1: really get my hopes up, honestly. But
0: The 5th is Friday, mm-hmm. so we'll. I'll be tweeting out some information um, as I hear it from the Twitter universe about the Golden Knights and about the Silver Knights, if we can kind of get, hopefully we get hockey back um, sooner rather than later. I would like to give a shout out. To the Lady Rebels for beating Reno, um, 62-57, behind Nia Johnson and her 28 points. Fun fact about the Lady Rebels um, in the series against the Lady Pack. They have 37 wins, 38 now, to UNR's 12 in women's basketball. Great job. By the Lady Rebels. They're in third place in the Mountain West, all by themselves at six and three in the Mountain West. That's really cool. And they're three and zero away from home. That's really, really good, solid effort. Some team in this athletic department has to carry us. I mean, this UNLV Lady Rebels team is they've been on fire lately. So, with that, uh, let's wrap this up. Vegas Fever Podcast. Uh, Paula is the Golden Wife. She is at the Golden Wife on Twitter. And I am Jason, Vegas Fever Podcast at Vegas Fever Pod on Twitter. <laughs> I hope. I don't know. Um, but we will talk to everybody next week. Hopefully, having some things to say about the Golden Knights and the Runner Rebels versus Reno twice. Everybody, have a good day. Stay safe. Goodbye. Bye bye.